following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Uh, There's kind of two things that the Bible deals with. One are issues that deal with getting in. Right? Getting into the kingdom, getting saved. How you make entrance into a relationship with God. Um, then there are passages that talk about getting on. You know, How do we continue on once we're in, in the right relationship with God? And how do we serve and know and follow Him? Uh, and I think one of the, when you interpret Scripture, it's, it's important to identify which, which question of those two the passage is dealing with. Is it talking about getting in? Talking about getting on. And I think one of the hang-ups with this passage is it often is viewed in terms of getting in. Uh, and for, for uh, I, I can't even tell you how many discussions and debates, maybe you've had these, about which of these types of soil are believers and which aren't. And commentators go on for, for volume, I mean, pages and pages and pages talking about this debate. But the debate really misses the point because this parable is not a getting in parable. Okay, that's not the point of it. Um, it's, and we get sidetracked because the, it's, a, it's, it's called the parable of the sower. And sowing, planting a garden, sounds like the beginning of something, right? And so it sounds like, and it could kind of trick us into thinking, well, this is talking about how we get into the kingdom. It's a beginning story. But t- to make that decision is to miss really the whole story. Because if anybody here planted a garden ever... Okay, a few of you real people, down-to-earthy types, planted gardens, right? Nobody plants a garden just because they enjoy putting seeds in dirt. Well, except for three-year-olds, I guess. Um, that's not the point of it, right? You don't plant just to plant. You plant why? Well, to produce something, right? The goal is what will be harvested. And that's true in this story. When you look at it, the focus is what comes at the end where it says... Uh, the seed that fell in good soil produced a hundredfold. Right? There's a harvest. And so the point of this story is not the sowing, but the harvesting. And it really is a picture, um, in the big picture, is what have we done with all of God's Word through all of our life? And, uh, and as we see, and as I hope we unfold this, you'll see that this this parable, this story really has a lot to do with the whole journey we have with God from beginning to end and the impact that His Word has upon us. Um, and as I said, and I won't shout it again, but as Jesus tells this parable, He ends it by shouting out these words. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Right? Pay attention. If you have any kind of ears, be listening to the Word. And Jesus makes it clear that a life that gets to the end that has something to show for it, of which there is a harvest a hundredfold, a yield, that, a life that's produced a hundredfold, that we get there by what we do with God's Word. Right? So that's, uh, that's where he's going with this. It's a, it's a story about listening to God's Word well throughout all of our life uh, and, and identifying those things that will keep us from... Absorbing and hearing the word. So, how are we doing listening to God's word, and what are we doing with what we hear? So, let's look at that. And um, 
uh, there's a few kind of introductory remarks I need to make. And that has to do with the, the issue of hearing God. Um, we serve a God who speaks. Right? From Genesis to Revelation, God is talkative. Right? God communicates himself through all of created history with mankind. God is not silent. He speaks. And as you read through the whole Old Testament, you read through the New Testament, man's journey with God is about God, first of all, speaking to them, and then those who hear his voice responding in various ways. And so to really get the gist of of who God is, we have to know that God is a God who speaks. Um, And he's not a God who spoke once, you know, wrote it down in a letter, sent it to us in the mail, and has gone on vacation. Uh, Dallas Willard calls people who think like that Bible deists, right? He says, no, God is speaking in his word, in his living word. And God is speaking through his spirit. In the Old Testament, he spoke in all kinds of ways through angels and dreams and visions and prophets and teachers. He still speaks in, in those ways. Uh, but in all of those means, whatever the, the, the face of God speaking, it's by his spirit who's communicating and revealing to us who God is. Uh, the ultimate revelation, the ultimate word is Jesus himself. And John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So Jesus himself is the ultimate spoken word of God. And to know Jesus in his life uh, is, to, is to hear his word. Um, and we, we sum up all of this speaking activity of God, uh, which would be a whole you know, 10-week series if we wanted to do this. But we would sum all that up in the simple phrase, the word of God. Okay, the Word of God. And when we talk about the Word of God, we're not talking just about what got written in Scripture. Okay? Now, we're thankful that as God spoke, some people had the clever idea of thinking, you know, this is good stuff. We should write this down. Because, like, other people could benefit from this. Um, and they did that and have recorded for us God's active speaking, right, through the prophets and through history and through the commands and the law and through the life of Christ. Uh, but the word, the scripture, is not, is not the limit of God speaking. Okay, God speaks in many ways, and he still speaks, hopefully, through preachers. I pray every Sunday, you know, somehow he speaks something. Through teachers, through prophets, through friends, through visions, through his spirit. Uh, he's communicating himself. Primarily through the word, and obviously anything that contradicts scripture, we've got to be careful about, right? Because God's not going to contradict himself. He primarily speaks through Scripture, but he speaks in many ways. And we call all of that the Word of God, the Word of God. And in the Greek, it's the Logos. And as we look at this parable, that's the word that's used. Um, so in this story, it says that the, the seed is the Word. And specifically, Luke uses the term the Word of God. Um, uh, so, so that's clear to us what he's talking about, the Word of God. And as, as the sower goes out, whoever the sowers are, whether it's Jesus in this context or Throughout the history, teachers and prophets and, and preachers and evangelists and disciple makers who have proclaimed God's word in various forms, uh, they are the sowers. And uh, one of the points of the parable is that the God's word is sown broadly, right? Uh, he goes out and he's checking seed everywhere, right? Because if you want to get a good crop, you're not stingy with seed, Right? You don't, you don't take three seeds. It's not like Jack and the Beanstalk. Okay, Jack and the Beanstalk only got five seeds. You know, the guy was gypped, right? Good gardening requires bags full of seed. 
And the more you plant, the greater the harvest. So, uh, so the word is sown broadly uh, across all spectrums of life. And in fact, uh, God's desire is that his word go out across the world. So that's what we're about. We're about taking God's word to every people, tongue, tribe, and nation. Um, but there's another, so that's, that's a little bit of the context, but there's another uh, important point I'm not going to dwell on long, but um, it is significant, the people who listen, right? And there's a, a phrase in this passage that's problematic and bothers some people. Uh, God is speaking to everyone, but not everyone is listening to the same level. And that's kind of the point of the parable, right? People listen and respond differently to God's speaking, proclaiming voice. Um, uh, and at the end, as he tells the parable, his disciples ask him what the parable means. And, and, and Jesus' answer is, you know, what bothers people. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not hear. Uh, Jesus says, some hear and are given knowledge to understand what is being said. But for some, Jesus communicates in a way that hides and conceals truth. Right? And in fact, when, when Jesus explains uh, why he uses parables, right, uh, it's interesting his answer. Okay? Jesus does not say, well, I'm speaking to an oral culture, and so I'm using stories. Right? Now, whatever may be true about oral cultures and the need to tell stories for people who can't read is good. But that's not what Jesus says here. In fact, Jesus says this, I'm telling parables to confuse people because I don't want them to get it. Right? Well, that seems kind of counterproductive. It's like, why bother if they're not going to get it, right? Well, it's the, it's the, it's the paradox of truth. Right? Um, and, and the context here is, is very important. And what is the context? Luke doesn't just randomly pull stories out, right? which is sometimes how we, we see it, because we don't always get the connections. But uh, Luke is very careful about how he arranges the stories and events and parables. So it's really important that when we look at one story, we look at what happened right before it. And what happened right before it? Well, if you were here last Sunday, you know that it was the story of the woman coming of ill repute, who uh, was a sinner, was known, had a reputation as being a sinful woman, whatever that meant. And she anoints Jesus' feet, and she weeps with great tears over him and, uh, and, and, and really adores Jesus with very tender affection. And if you remember, what was the motive behind that? Well, she had experienced grace. She had experienced life-changing forgiveness and the compassion of Christ who had forgiven her of all her sins. And she knew it. And out of that came this heart that wanted to love and adore Jesus. Right? Uh, G, uh, Luke is putting, following that story up with this story, I think in a very significant way, to say, look, when you come to the point of experiencing God's forgiveness in your life, and God transforms you, uh, you become a person who has ears to hear. Right? There are those, and in the story, if you remember, there was, the, there was the woman, but there was Simon. And what was Simon like? Well, he was a Pharisee. He was very uh, religious. He was uh, thought of himself to be uh, a good person. But he had no clue who Jesus was. And at the end of the story, uh, the woman receives 
forgiveness from Christ as, as, as God's agent who God alone can forgive. And Simon says, and his buddies say, well, who is this Jesus that he's forgiving sin? Only God can do that, right? So the sinful woman is got ears to hear, and she's getting it. Simon, on the other hand, is hearing Jesus teach, but he's not getting it, right? So this parable is a follow-up to explain really what's going on with this woman and with the Pharisees. And the point is that um, for those who have not experienced grace through faith, they cannot perceive spiritual truth. Right? Their hearts are hardened. And the parable is, is, um, is explaining that. Uh, so Jesus tells stories and he tells parables, but his point um, is not to, re- not to hide the truth from everybody, but the truth becomes, the story becomes an act of judgment. Those who get it, it's confirmed that they have a heart that's being transformed and changed by grace. Those who don't get it, it's proof that their heart is being hardened and they are being resistant to the message. And that becomes a theme through this next section. Uh, so um, the parable is explaining this, but it's more than that. It's also telling us how we can overcome the obstacles that will prevent us from hearing clearly God's truth. So I want to take um, and look at these uh, types of soil, four types of soil real quick. And we, we want to look at, in each of these, there is an obstacle or a danger that prevents us from really hearing the word, from really listening well. So we're going to look at the obstacle or danger. Uh, then we're going to look at the heart issue that's behind that that will get us in trouble. And then thirdly, we'll look at the solution or the means to overcome that obstacle. So first one, first soil is the, uh, the hard soil. Um, uh, and, and it says, though, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the footpath are those who have heard. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Right? So the first uh, problem or obstacle I've titled deception. And it says that um, for this person, it's one who is, is hard and the word does not penetrate. And it lays on the surface. In fact, in the previous part of the parable, he says it's trampled underfoot, it's walked on, and the birds come and they eat it. And in the parable, Jesus explains that Satan is, is the bird, and he comes and he snatches away the word. Um, how does Satan do that? What is his strategy? Well, his strategy is to take God's word and twist and distort it so that its message is no longer clear. Um, and this is illustrated all the way back at day one, right? Genesis chapter 3. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, 3, God creates the world. He creates the garden. He creates Adam and Eve. And what does God do immediately after he creates Adam and Eve? What's the first thing he does? He speaks, right? It says in uh, Genesis two sixteen and 17, The Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day uh, you shall surely die. So God creates, he speaks to his people, right? What happens right immediately after that? Satan comes along and his goal is to snatch away the word, right? And he does that through deception. 
by twisting and changing the message. Notice what what it says. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan says, man, God's God's tricking you. You know, God is... God is, is scamming you here, you know? You're not going to die. Don't worry about that. God just is afraid that you will be like him. Because God said, if you eat this, you will, you will possess the knowledge of good and evil. Just think about that, right? And so Adam and Eve begin mulling this over. And they begin to doubt God's word, right? And uh, Satan is successful in snatching away the word. And they do not trust God. They do not believe God's goodness. And they violate God's command. And they do die, right? They sin and they destroy their life. Um, Satan's goal in all this is that you would not believe and that you would not be saved. And I would say Adam and Eve are pretty good examples of two people who did not believe and in the end lost their life. And they didn't lose it just for them, but they lost it for all of us. Yay, Grandma and Grandpa, Adam and Eve. We love you. Um, That's Satan's goal, right? To snatch away the Word because it is through God's Word, through the message, that we can believe and be saved. So what Satan wants to do is he wants to rob and twist and distort, take away God's Word, to diminish your faith, and ultimately with the hopes that he will diminish your faith to the point that you are not saved. Now, uh, for those who you know really try to make this a, a getting in parable, you know we jump all over this and we we categorize this first group. We'll see clearly these ones are the unsaved, right? But don't be so quick with this, right? Don't be so quick to dismiss what Satan is doing here as an activity that only happens among the unbelieved, unbelievers, the unsaved. I'll guarantee you, Satan is constantly trying to invade your life and snatch away God's truth. Being saved doesn't make Satan go, oh, well, they're saved, so I'll give up on that one. Absolutely not. Satan is a great deceiver, he's a great liar, and to whatever extent he can rob and diminish your faith, he will do it. And he is still doing that, and he's doing that, he's doing that in the midst of his church today, right? In, in startling ways. Uh, and in fact, it's, it's alarming how, uh, how Satan has walked into the midst of the church and is snatching away the word. How does he do it? Well, he does it in many different ways, but oftentimes it may go something like this. Uh, people think, and God's word says, that God is love, right? And so we begin to think about it, and Satan begins to distort that truth a bit by dropping these kind of hints. Well, a loving God could not also be a God of wrath, right? A loving God could not judge and hate sin. A loving God would not condemn people to an eternity in hell. And on and on it goes until uh, we come to the conclusion that, and I've heard people say this, people say, I could, Christians, people who claim to be followers of Christ, who say, you know, I could not, I could not worship a God who would condemn people to hell. Dangerous. Dangerous. God has snatched away his word from those hearts. And uh, if you start saying, I'm not going to believe in a God who would judge people and send them to hell, uh, you need to start doubting your salvation. 
right? Because we will stand before that God, and if you do not have faith that leads to salvation, right, you may experience firsthand what God will do to those who are not his children. Right? Uh, how easy it happens, and how easy that is invading the church. Right? Uh, is God love? Yes. Does God relish sending people to hell? No. Does God seek to save everyone who will come to him? Yes. Right? But how easy Satan can, do, can twist and distort truth and turn it into error. And people all over are buying it. Right? And God is snatching the word away from their heart. Uh, there are lots of dangerous paths where Satan can uh, come in and twist and distort and, and snatch away truth. Uh, I'm not going to name all of them, but here's some of them. And they, they basically center around our questions, right? Our questions. Questions like this. If God is good, how could he allow so much evil in the world? Right? If God really cares about us, why are there so many religions? Why doesn't God make it clear which one is the true one? Right? Um, if God made me this way, as in i.e. gay, lesbian, bisexual, whatever, just overly sexually active, you know, if God made me this way, then how can it be wrong? Right? It's the way God made me. Right? Um, the Bible was written to so many different cultures so long ago that those things just don't apply to my culture anymore. Right? We live in a different age and, you know, it doesn't apply to us anymore. Um, now these all begin as, can begin as honest questions and they should be answered. Right? And there is some truth and there is some reality in those questions. I don't know what your questions are. You may have different ones. But they're questions that raise doubt about who God is and what he said in his word. So what do we do with those questions? Well, we, sh- we need to ask them. Okay, don't pretend that they're not there because that just gets you nowhere, right? But here's the deal. Um, that's, that, that, that's the obstacle, the danger. But what's the root of that? Well, the root of it is a proud heart. See, there's two different ways to ask those kinds of questions. One is with a proud heart that, um, that is convinced that we know the right answers and we don't need to be taught. See, that was Simon's problem. Simon the Pharisee, story before this, right? So the Pharisees were constantly testing Jesus. They were putting questions to him, but they were not putting questions to him with a humble heart that was seeking truth and seeking to understand the word. Instead, they were being critical and judgmental and skeptical. Right? They were weighing Jesus in the balance, and they thought they were smart enough and righteous enough and holy enough that they could judge Jesus, that they could judge Scripture, that they could judge God and his word. And for, for those who have those kind of questions, and it comes from a proud and arrogant heart, they are saying, in essence, God... We're going to put you on trial and we're going to judge you. And if you pass my test, then maybe I will believe you. That's arrogance. And that is a kind of pride that makes our heart incredibly hard. And God's word cannot penetrate it. That was the Pharisees. That's every person who hears God's word and is resistant to its message. And that resistance is a defiance that says, God, I am smarter than you. Don't tell me what's true. Right? I'll decide for myself. 
dangerous place to be. Um, and of course, it's different to ask those questions with a humble heart, to say, God, this does bother me. You know, honestly, if you're so good, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? But it's an attitude that says, God, I don't know the answer, and I don't even pretend to be smart enough to know how to figure it out. Please teach me. Please instruct me what your word says about these difficulties I struggle with. Different attitude. So the solution. How do we overcome? Well, uh, in verse 15, he sums up the solution to all these, all in verse 15. So he takes all the different soils. The the fourth soil, the good soil, uh, is the one who's been able to combat all of these. So notice what it says in verse 15. As for that in the good soil... They are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart. An honest and good heart. And bear fruit with patience. The, the, the trick is to have an honest and good heart. Those words can mean like a noble, an excellent heart, a good heart. Right? Where does one get a heart like that? I've looked on Amazon. They don't have one. Right? Walmart, it's not there. Lotus, right? Where do you get a heart like that? Scripture says that we are born desperately wicked, right? Our heart is not naturally good or turned toward God. Where does that heart come from? Well, it's a regenerate heart that comes as a gift from God. I love that Jesus says to the disciples when they ask what this is all about, Jesus said, it has been given to you. Uh, the knowledge to understand. It's been given to you the heart that has the capacity to see this. You see, like, like the woman in the story before, they had experienced God's redeeming work of forgiveness and grace. And it changed their heart. It changed them so that they now had a capacity to hear and receive God's word. They had humbled themselves before God and said, God, I need your salvation. Right? I need your grace. Uh, God gives us that heart, and it comes by faith. So the first step to hearing God's word and receiving it is having a childlike faith that believes it is true, even if it doesn't make sense or is contrary to human wisdom. Uh, So we need that faith, and it comes through conversion. It comes through coming to Christ and receiving him. And there comes a point, and as as you share Christ with people, as you've done evangelism, you know there comes a point where they've raised, there are 10,000 questions, right? And you've tried to answer them all. But there comes a point where you have to say, look, you either believe it's true and you choose with a childlike faith to claim it as truth, even though you don't have the answers to all your questions, or you reject it, right? And that's what faith is. It's not faith because we've overcome every doubt and we've answered every question. It's believing it because we believe that God is true and that his word must be true even if I don't get it all. Um, what are your dangerous questions? Right? Are you aware of those things that Satan would use to twist and distort God's word in your heart and mind? Really important to identify those and be careful with them. Um, be taking those things to God in prayer, but with a humble attitude that's seeking His answers. And I would just say this, and I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't read books. I read books. Books are good. Christian books are good. But be careful 
that you're not exclusively relying on books to give you the answers. Um, Because a lot of Christian books are, I mean, I hate to say this, they're agents of Satan twisting and robbing the Word of God, right? Um, Make sure one of the books you're reading is the Bible, right? (laughs) Make sure you're going to Scripture and getting the ultimate answer from His Word through His Spirit. Not just what, you know, I've loved it. I'm so tempted to name people, but I won't. (laughs) You fill in the blank, okay? You fill in the blank. Um, Okay, second thing um, is the area of tests and trials. Okay, it says, verse 13, uh, there's another group, another type of soil. These are the ones uh, where the seed falls on the rock. These are the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time, in a time of testing, they fall away. Okay, so the danger or the obstacle here is, is trials, hardships, testing of our faith. Uh, this person receives the word. They receive it with joy. Okay, does that mean they get saved? I don't know. You, you, you argue about that one. But there's some faith, okay, whether it's saving faith or not. I don't know. There's some faith. There's some receptivity. There's some enthusiasm for the word. But after a while, trials come, right? And the result is these, these trials wither the word away. Okay, they wither away its influence and its effect in their life. What are the trials that, that face us? Well, there's thousands. In, in, in this time, there was a lot of direct persecution. Uh, people were putting in jail, being put in jail for their faith. That's, that's a serious test. Um, for us, it may be that we're just mocked or ridiculed for our faith. Um, and for us, what people think takes greater importance than what God thinks. Um, maybe we had been told, uh, you know, some form of the gospel that says, well, you get saved and Jesus takes care of all your problems and once you, once you get saved, life will go super smooth, right? And it doesn't actually happen that way, and it actually gets worse, right? And you have struggles and problems, and so the word withers. Um, you face financial hardship or health problems or marriage difficulties. Life is just hard. And with those challenges, our faith gets, uh, gets tested, and we start asking, well, maybe God doesn't love me. Right? Maybe God doesn't care about me. Maybe God isn't going to bless me. Right? Maybe God isn't really going to even save me. And the word begins to crumble in our life. And the result for this person is that they essentially give up. They stop trying. They stop seeking to follow and apply God's word in their life. They stop listening. And they go on with their own life seeking the path of least resistance. Um, the word trial can also mean, though, besides test of our faith like hardship, it can also mean to be tempted by sin. Right? And for this person is a person who is plagued with lusts and desires that constantly hound us, and this person is constantly being defeated by them. Right? Time after time after time after time, they give in to the temptation and they fall and they fail. Right? And, and uh, eventually they get discouraged and give up, and they go, what's the use? Why bother? Right? Why bother? Um, that's the obstacle. What is the root issue? 
Well, Jesus says the root issue is that they have an impatient heart. Okay, their heart is impatient. In other words, what that means is they have no vision for the end. Right? All they can see is the absolute here and now. And it's all about today. It's hard today, and so I want out today. Right? I'm being tempted today, and I can't put it off until tomorrow. I'm going to indulge in that today. Right? They are impatient. They are impul- compulsive. They um, have no scope or vision of the end in view. Right? They're impatient. Well, what's the solution? Or again, verse 15. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Patience, right? They are patient. The word has the idea of the ability to endure through difficulty. Right? Uh, any endurance runners here? Anybody? Anybody wishes they were an endurance runner? <laughs> well, if you're not a real endurance runner, you, should, you need to at least be an endurance runner in faith. And what I mean by that is this. Uh, an endurance runner is one who, who does ridiculously stupid things to themselves. Right? They go off and run like marathons. Why do they do that? Well, I don't know. But I've done it. Um, and about, you know, two-thirds of the way through the race, it just really starts to hurt a lot, you know. And um, everything in your body tells you, why did you do this? What were you thinking, right? What is wrong with you? Quit, you know. There's an easy way to remedy this. Just stop right now, and it all goes away, right? Okay. And for an impatient person, i.e. sprinters, Right? <laughs> I'm a track coach, so I can say that. Um, you know, they quit. You go, yeah, that's, this is dumb, right? What is endurance? Well, endurance is simply this. And endurance is simply not focusing on the pain right now, but looking to the finish line. Right? Knowing that, okay, I only have you know, eight more miles to go. Okay, seven more miles to go. Six miles and three quarters to go. <laughs> Six miles and two-thirds to go, right? Every step, you know, okay, one more, right? And you're, but you're looking to the finish, to the end. That's endurance. It's not living for today, but it's living for the future, right? And uh, there's, there's a maturity that's in that. What are we living for, right? What do we have our focus, our goals, our eyes set on? Are we worried about our struggle today, or are we looking at the last day of our life? Or beyond that, when we get to heaven and we're standing before God in glory, that we plan to have something to show for our life. The, the endurance runner, the marathoner, keeps going so that when he gets to the end, he receives the prize, right? And he crosses the finish line, and hopefully he thinks it's worth it. I wasn't so sure it was, actually. <laughs> uh, but in God's economy... To get to the end and say, my life has yielded a hundred times. I have something significant to show for my life that I lived here. I leave some legacy behind of God's work in my life and through my life to produce an abundant crop. We'll have all of eternity to cherish that last day, that harvest. How tragic it will be for those who get to the end who have no harvest 
for whom everything is burned up and consumed. Because they were too impatient and they gave up too easily. Um, the word was withered in them. Right? Third one, last one, last obstacle is distractions. Uh, verse 14, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Okay, this person also receives the word, and they actually grow up with the word. Okay, the word, they, they grow. They're not withered right away. They grow up, and, and they, they grow to some fullness. Um, but along with them grows weeds, thorns, stuff, right? And Jesus uh, defines the stuff in three ways. First, cares. Well, cares are simply worries about daily living, taking care of our immediate, legitimate needs, right? Things like, uh, you know, food, clothing, um, finances, health, okay? The legitimate needs of everyday life. Uh, These things are not sinful in themselves. Uh, God does not say, you know, don't eat. God loves it when we eat. Uh, He loves it that we, and he he intends to meet our physical needs, right? But this is the person that's consumed with worry about my daily needs. The second category is riches. Okay, so needs is kind of at the base level. Next strata, riches. These would be all the things that we don't need, but we want, right? Um, Nicer, not just a house, but a nicer house. Not just rice, but steak, right? Not just a little TV, a big TV, right? Uh, Not just a car, but a newer car. Okay, again, these, these... the desire for these things is, is not sinful in themselves. These are not like the previous category that it's lustful. Right? It's not those kind of temptations. It's just it's, it's a longing for the, the comforts of life. Um, and again, it's the stuff of everyday life that's not sinful. Third category, the top, pleasures. Okay, so you got needs, wants, pleasures. Okay, uh, and again, this is not the word that would be used for sinful lust. It's, it's the word we get the word hedonism from. Uh, and hedonism in itself is not inherently wicked. It depends on where and how you seek pleasure, right? But what Jesus has in mind here is non-sinful pursuits of pleasure. So it's things like uh, enjoying life, uh, taking a day off. Uh, it's, it's things like pure and wholesome entertainment, vacations, Leisurely activities, sports, hobbies, friends and family, grandchildren. Love that. Uh, hobbies and interests. Okay, things that help us enjoy life. Again, not sinful. Right. In fact, God wants us to enjoy these things. He wants us to enjoy life. But what's the issue with these things? Well, the issue is that they have become number one priority. Right. They're not just. It's not just things that are part of life. They are life. They are the goal and pursuit of life. And they become consuming so that they choke us out and we cannot mature. It says that this plant does not grow up, ESV says they do not grow up to produce mature fruit, but literally it's that we don't mature to the point where we can produce fruit. So these distractions keep us from being fruitful. What's the hard issue? The heart issue is a divided heart. A divided heart. 
We do not live exclusively 100% for God and His agenda. Right? We have a very selfish agenda, and that selfish agenda competes against God's agenda. And this is the person who's always battling between those two things and never totally sells out for God's agenda alone. It's always, well, I want to serve God, but I want to serve God in a place where it's comfortable, right? Don't send me to a hard place. Send me to a nice place, right? I'll serve God as long as I have a good retirement and health insurance plan, right? Again, those are legitimate needs. Those are legitimate things. But it's not selling out wholeheartedly for God. It's putting conditions on how far we will go with Him, right? The limits to what our service will be. We're divided, right? We have a heart that's divided between myself and God. And we're trying to balance a tightrope, and it just doesn't work. Uh, and those things become a distraction to us. Maybe not a sinful distraction as an, as an immoral distraction, but they become a distraction that chokes the word out of our life. Okay? Here's a very literal example of that. How many of you, um, when it comes to just your quiet time, okay, speaking of choking out the word, just you know, having time alone with God, can do it without 10,000 distractions, Right? Uh, you can sit down and you can be with God for... for and here's the deal. I, mean, I know people who can't be 15 minutes. There's been times in my life I couldn't even be five minutes in God's presence without having to check my email, check my messages, check Facebook, take a phone call, make a phone call, play a video game, uh, play with my gadgets, right? When, when, you, when you take time in God's Word, do you turn off all that stuff or block it out, right? Or can you not be with God for five minutes before those things are pulling you away? If it's not technology, um, maybe it's other distractions. Um, What I have to do today, my financial problems, the conflict I'm having at work, my trip back home in nine months, my vacation in three months, uh, my next trip in two weeks, or the assignment that's due tomorrow. Right? And you sit down and you can't be with God five minutes before those distractions are pulling you away. Right? We're divided. We're divided. We are not giving God full, exclusive attention of our heart and life. Um, and God's word is being choked out. And His word is being choked out. Um, and it will cost us. Right? It will cost us. He says, you will not grow up to maturity and produce fruit in your life. You will get to the end of your life, and uh, you will have nothing to show for it. Honestly, when you get to the end of your life, is it going to matter that you made it to the 237th level of Candy Crush Saga? Right? Or whatever. Right? Is it really going to be the victory of your life? You know, that you're able to read every Facebook post for the last 10 years. As impressive as that would be, right? Is that really what's going to matter at the end of your life? When you go into eternity, is that what you want to have to show for your life? Or do you want to have a life that's produced something eternal? Jesus says, if you let these things crush the word out of your life, you will not be fruitful. You may be busy. You may be in full-time ministry. You may be serving God right, left, and otherwise. You will not be fruitful. He who has ears to hear, 
Let him hear. Jesus says, if your heart has been changed and you are tuned into his word, listen to his word. Let it rule and govern your whole life. Dedicate yourself 100% to it. Jesus promised, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. Right? God will take care of you. And you will bear fruit. Um, the solution, to be unwavering in the word. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Okay, they're the ones who hold fast to God's word. They hold on unwaveringly, immoving in God's word to his promises and his commands. Okay? So I hold on to that. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. Right? i got to commit myself to his kingdom. God will take care of my needs and my wants and my pleasures. He'll take care of it. He promised that. I'm going to hold to that promise. I'm going to hold to all of his promises. I'm going to hold to the promise that God says he's a God of love and a God of justice. Right? That he will save those who turn to him and he will judge those who don't. And I will proclaim the gospel in light of that reality to the world. I'll be one who sows the seed to fulfill the great commission. And I will love God to fulfill the great commandment. Um, I really believe that this, just in summing up the close, this is a picture of the journey of a lifetime. And in my life, it's looked like this. Uh, when I started off this journey, I was hard soil. And, and, and Jesus tells this story not to discourage us, okay? If you are hard soil, you don't have to stay hard soil. If you're in, choked out by thorns, you don't have to stay there. Jesus is teaching this parable because he wants us to change, to get to the good soil. I started out as hard soil, resistant to God's word. Right? And Satan was, was twisting it. And even after I came to Christ, Satan was still snatching away that word at times, right? But I grew and I matured and, and I, I moved from there to being uh, someone who had no roots, right? And I was embattled by temptations and fell all the time. Right? That was my early spiritual journey one of wanting to serve God and being just absolutely destroyed by temptations that I could not stand against, living for the moment, right? I grew a little, got little tiny roots, right? And found myself in the midst of thorns. And to this day, we struggle with those things, right? With the temptations, with the word being withered, with these distractions. But hopefully we can press on to a place of maturity where we are holding fast to his word with an honest and good heart and we bear fruit with patience. Tommy Akawa gave me this quote. I have to give him credit for it because it's just so good. What wins? Being entertained or spending time in the word of God? And what wins? You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.